Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to get started this morning, and this is really the title of our talk this morning. Can God be around sin? Can God be around sin? Now, if you've gone here for any amount of time, you might know the answer, so don't give the answer away. But I do want to talk about this because, you know, I say things a lot from the pulpit, and I think when those things are said, maybe they're not understood. And I really want to make sure that we understand this idea. Can God be around sin? Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to start with verse... 18, the, the Paul, or the Paul, the Apostle Paul, we could say, he's writing to the church in Corinth here, and he says this, the idea of mankind's co-inclusion in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is entirely God's doing. Did you pick that up? God's the one who has made this happen. He's the one that has done this. Look at this. To now realize that God has indeed brought final closure, say final closure, to the old and for us to see everything and everyone. I want you to catch this. He says everything and everyone. We could say all of creation. He says he's brought the final closure, the old for us to see everything and everyone in this new light is to simply see what God has always known to be true about us in Christ. You know, God never forgot about us. God never forgot about who we were. And I often go back to the creation story, the, the beautiful Hebrew poem uh, we call Genesis. But in this story, we have man and woman. You know, the word Adam actually means, it's not a formal name, it means man. And so we have man and woman represented by Adam and Eve in this creation story. But we see that they, they lose focus, they lose sight of who they are. They think they need more, and so they reach for the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil, correct? But what happens in that moment when they fall, when they sin? Does God leave them? Oh, he comes to them. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Think of the life of Jesus. Jesus hung out with the sinners and the publicans and the tax collectors. Why? Because when we're in trouble and we need help, God comes to us. In fact, he, he doesn't come to us. He's always been there. Come on now. He's always been there, but he's like tapping the shoulder. Hey, I'm right here. You need some help? That's what I'm here for. I love you. I care for you. I'm here to help. But look at this. He says, we are not debating human experience, opinion, or their contribution. I love this translation. He's saying, I know we have these different thoughts and ideas and things that we contribute, but he's saying, I'm not debating those things. Look at this. This is exactly what God believes. You ever thought about that? I was reading this this morning and it was like, you ever been reading something and it like just hits you? Like it feels like it literally hits you in the face. You're like, oh my gosh, I'd never seen it before. We are always asking ourselves, and others, what do you believe about God? How many have asked that before? How many have heard that statement? Have we even asked it? What do you believe about God? But maybe we should be asking this question: What does God believe about you? That totally changes everything, doesn't it? Because what God believes about you is the truth. Sometimes what I believe about myself is a lie. That's really this journey of life. That's that being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm saying, okay, I believe this about myself, but what is God's story about me? What is God telling me about myself? We all have to ask that question. So what does God believe about you? He goes on to say this, in Jesus Christ, God exchanged equivalent value to redeem us to himself. 
He went to the highest extreme in this act of reconciliation to persuade us of our original worth. Say, I'm worthy. I'm not convinced. Say, I'm worthy. Look at this. This God has given us as the mandate for our ministry. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, right? Bringing us in the favor. And now he's saying, now that I'm aligning you with your original worth, I'm asking you now to make this your ministry and mandate for life. Let others know about their original value and worth. Doesn't that make the gospel easy? I mean, it's just a different perspective, but this is God's word about us. Now, the word katalaso here in the Greek, it translates as reconciliation. It is a mutual exchange of equal value. Now, think about this. He goes on uh, in this translation to explain. He says, this transaction was not to buy us back from the devil, the enemy. He says, a thief never becomes an owner. Listen to this. It was God redeeming our minds from the lies that we believed about ourselves. That's pretty powerful. Reconciliation is the bold unveiling of the value of the hidden treasure in everyone. Man, that's the gospel I can like run with. That, that just brings like, I actually got like uh, HSB up here, or HGB. You know what that is? Holy Ghost Goosebumps, HGGB. Yeah, that was a horrible joke. You totally screwed up, Pastor. But I literally did, like, I got goosebumps. And I'm not, like, some over-spiritual, like, like, but every so often I'll read something, I'll go, whoa. You ever watch something that just moves you and you get goosebumps? You're like, oh. I'm telling you, goosebumps are okay as long as you don't get weird about it. But, you know, we need that experience with God. There's times when I read stuff, and it's like my spirit is connected with his spirit because it's this union. And when I hear it, something goes off inside, and I'm like, this is so good. I'm going to live another day, and I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this day. I mean, that's what he's there to remind us about. But look at this, verse 19. He says, our ministry declares that Jesus did not act independently of his Father. This is important. God was present in Christ when he reconciled the total cosmos to himself. Deity and mankind embraced in him. The fallen state of mankind was deleted Listen to this, their trespasses, or we could say sins, would no longer count against them. Come on, Bruce, that's a boom moment right there. That's right. He now announces his friendship with every individual from within us. Isn't that awesome? Like, we could just go home right now. And just chew on this, savor this, digest this for a while. I mean, their trespasses would be no longer counted against them. He remembers our sin no more. Now, is the good news really good news? Yeah. I mean, when you hear it like that, you're like, this is, this is really good stuff. Like, is this something new? No. It's about 2,000 years old. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? This, this is the gospel that we get to share. But what is the gospel we share and how do we share it? This is a really important question we need to ask ourselves. I've told this story before, but imagine that your child or there's a child having a birthday party. And they have, how many have the gift table at the birthday party? Right? When you come in, what's the first thing you do? You got all these gifts because you love blessing people. What do you do? Where's the gift table? Some of you are like, where's the card box? Not that you're lazy, it's just easier, I get it, you know? But where's the gift table? Now, how many know that kids love to open gifts? Anyone? But you walk in and there's this huge gift table. And, and the, I mean, imagine what the kid is thinking. 
I know when I was a kid and I would see that gift table, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. I mean, I want to tear into those gifts. There is goodness inside those gifts and they're just for me. But imagine for a moment that the gifts are on the table. They're all lined up. They're beautiful. They're pretty. They're on full display for our child to see. And we say these words, before you can have these free gifts, I need to tell you how much you don't deserve them. Right. I know. I know. I need to tell you how much you are not worth it. Now, if, no show of hands. If you've ever done that at a party, shame on you. And I never put shame on anyone. With that situation, come on, that's just wrong. How, how can we do that to a child? So let me ask you this question. Why do we do this or choose to share good news like this sometimes? See all the good news? God's provided, it's finished, it's awesome. But let me tell you how much you're not worth this. And we sing songs that we think are so holy. I'm not worth anything. You're worth everything, Lord. But in Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us the, the exact representation. This was, Jesus was God on display for us, was saying, you are worth it. You're worth me dying on a cross, allowing you to crucify me. That's how big my love is. That's how much you are worth it. But yet we present a gospel and say, you're worth it. You're a filthy maggot. God can't stand you. But if you pray this prayer, then somehow some magic happens and then Jesus somehow and God are cool with you. It's really quiet in here. But let me just say this. In 2020, I'm just at this point. I, maybe I sound a little spunky today. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's been two weeks. But I've just, I've come to this point. Well, I, I want to say this right. I've come to this point. Well, I really don't care what another believer thinks about me. I don't care what a fundamentalist, legalistic preacher thinks about me. I don't care what the evangelical system of the Western culture thinks about me. I just don't. And, and you know what? We have to be gracious. We need to speak the truth in love, but we need to speak the truth. So this year, I believe we're going to tackle some issues that might be uncomfortable for us. But it's from the perspective. I mean, do you notice I read a scripture verse today? I mean, I have it out. I can say, this ain't my opinion. This is Jesus. Blame him. Right? Paul said this, not me. But I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his example. Sometimes we can skip over the parts we don't like. You know, like, well, I prefer that teaching, but, you know, like, I love the teaching where Jesus loves us. Ooh, it's so nice. Wait a minute. He said to love my enemy? I don't like that part. No, let's not do that part. That's impossible. Because war brings peace, right? I'm messing with you a little bit. You know, Jesus, when he was being tried, he was on trial. He, he said, Are you, you're the king of the Jews, and they're going through this whole procedure, and I don't have a verbatim, but basically, he says, listen, he says, if my followers were like the world, they'd be fighting for me right now. But they weren't. Hmm. Interesting. He said that he could call a legion of angels down to do what? Vindicate him. The, the word legion is really key there because there were legions of what? Roman soldiers. Every other king, if someone rose up against them, would call their legions to go to war and fight for them. And Jesus says, I choose not to because I'm the prince of peace. Come on. I got another Holy Ghost goosebump right there. Do you understand my heart? I, I just... I just want to speak the truth. And not that I don't feel I've ever held back the truth, but this year I just really want to bring some truths out. And 
man, I just want us to follow Jesus. Not American culture, not what some televangelist tells me. What does Jesus say? As we talk through some things this year, I want you to know my heart is for you, okay? I love you, I care for you, I, I care for this country. It's a blessing to have such freedoms, but sometimes we get constitutions mixed in with the words of Jesus and it doesn't belong. I mean, do you know that there's Christians all over the world who serve Jesus and follow Jesus and they live in different cultures with different governments? So I, I love America. I love many things about America. I think like any country, we've got issues. Can I get one amen? We're in election year. I mean, you're going to see issues. <laughs> if you haven't yet, you're going to. But my point here is I just, I really want to get to the point where we're not following a, a set of man-made opinions or rules. We're following Jesus. And following Jesus isn't always easy. Because you have to go against the grain of what culture and politics and, 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 and empire and all these things are saying to us. Because we're always getting information. We're always getting things, indoctrination, I could say, our way. But what does Jesus have to say about this issue or that issue? Because if we don't, man, there's some atrocities that have been done in the name of Christ. Just look at history. And I don't want us to go through those things again. I want us to say, okay, what would Jesus do? What, I mean, WJD, maybe we'll bring those back, right? But this time we'll actually listen to what Jesus says, <laughs> right? But what would Jesus do? What would he say? How would he handle this, this situation right now? So again, why do some choose to share good news from this idea that they have to prove that you're bad and that God can't stand you before you can step into the goodness? Listen, the goodness is there in full display. Just step into it. Amen? Everyone needs to know about the God who loves and cares for them and who has set everything right. Say that with me. Everything right. So, you know, if this is true, that everything has been set right, I want to persuade people to jump in head first, feet first, side first, whatever. Just jump into this. It's there in full display for you to enjoy because that is where the change begins in your life. So that's why I'm talking about can God be around sin today? Because I understand that we want people to leave a life that is hurting them, but the answer is not telling them that they're not worth it or that they don't deserve it. You follow me? That's not good news, folks. We must be aware of the world because that is what God is aware of and that's what he cares for. So how big is your world? That's a really good question to ask yourself. Does it go outside of yourself, outside of your realm, your sphere? So again, can God be around sin? Now, have you ever had an assumption in life? Have you ever assumed something? I mean, we know that assuming is, it's something that is supposed to be the case without proof. Now, the Urban Dictionary has a completely different fear because it's got a bad word in it, but... How many know what assume means in the urban dictionary? Something to do with the donkey, right? And someone was spot on with us sometimes because we really do look like donkeys when we assume things, don't we? But assumption in the dictionary means a belief or feeling that something is true or that something will happen, although there is no proof. Bottom line, assuming can be dangerous. Now, I've mentioned on several occasions that sin is not an issue as far as God is concerned. Have you, have you heard me say this before? 
And those of you who understand what I'm saying, you're like, like Bruce, thank you, Jesus, amen, boom, whatever. I mean, it's, it's like freeing. But some of you might hear that and go, wait a second, what? I don't understand that. What do you mean sin's not an issue for God? How can God not be concerned about that in relationship? And even reading the scripture today that God is not counting our sins against us, it may have brought us some questions or we could say some assumptions, right? About is this really true? I mean, is this idea that, that God's wiped the slate clean, is that really true? That as far as he, he's concerned, our sin is not an issue. There's no separation. Now, I do believe in estrangement. I look back at the garden story, and there was no separation because God came directly to them. He never separated and went anywhere. But in their minds, they couldn't even receive the sacrifice that God made on their behalf so that they would feel okay with him. They still left the garden. They still didn't come to a place where they saw what God was doing. And God says, I've got to send you out. You can't eat from the tree of life. We're going to work this thing out. And I believe that God went out the garden with them because you look story after story after story. God is always, always, always trying to work his way into the lives of his children. Always. But estrangement is when you don't feel like you're part of a family, like you don't belong. I believe just like Adam and Eve, we feel the same way. And so we, we have to get rid of this estrangement idea and realize there's no separation. This, this idea of sin, he's trying to convince us here that I no longer remember your sin. It's a done deal. It's a done issue. And so what happens in this is we get these assumptions. And I've said this enough that I want to clear some things up for us today so we can have a better understanding. Is that okay? And so I'm going to look at two big assumptions today. Big assumption number one, God is so holy they cannot look upon or be around sin. It's quiet in here. God is so holy that he cannot look upon or be around sin. So here's the question. Can God be around sin? How many know that theology matters? It's how we think and what we say about God. If you've ever formed an opinion about God, if you've ever, ever uttered an opinion about God, guess what you were doing? Theology. Now, there's some people who do it for a living, right? They study, they, they dig in, they look into original languages, and it's beautiful. If you get time, it's so easy now with Google. It really is. Look up words and go, wow, that means something different than I ever thought it meant. This is so cool. It just opens up this whole new idea, but that's theology. But saying that God is so holy that he cannot look upon sin or be around sin, in my humble opinion, it's bad theology. Amen. And this is why. We're going to go to the scriptures here, okay? It comes from half a verse in scripture. Now, listen, hang with me. Look at the person next, next to you and say, hang with him. Amen. Okay, we have another assumption to go over, but first we're going to start with assumption number one. But look at this verse in Habakkuk. Chapter one, verse 13. It says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and look at this, and cannot look on wickedness. You see that? Actually, the ERV says this, your eyes are too good to look at evil. You cannot stand to see people doing wrong. We could say sin, right? So right there, we've just proven God can't look upon sin, right? Well, how many know there's more to the verse? You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. We can say you cannot stand to see people doing wrong. He goes on. So why do you? Did you catch that? So why do you permit such evil? How can you watch while the wicked destroy people who are so much better? Actually, the NASB says, why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? 
Now, if you go through all the scripture, this is the only scripture that I can find. I've done a deep study on it that could remotely say that God cannot be around sin. He cannot look upon sin. But you have to only read half the verse. How many know we, we need to read verses in context? Okay, now stick with me. I know some are like, okay, pastor, what are you saying? We're getting there. Now, how we understand God is determined by looking at Jesus. We've talked about this quite often here, but how many know this, that John said this in his gospel. He says, no one has ever seen God, which was a powerful statement because if you look through, I mean, you can see Abraham had a meal with God at the Oaks of Mamre. We we can see that Moses spoke with God, whether a burning bush or on a mountain, the prophets supposedly spoke to God. We're like, John, what are you saying? What do you mean no one has seen God? God. But what he's saying is you haven't seen the picture because he goes on to say, except Jesus, who is dear to his heart, he, who Jesus has explained him to us. So whenever I want to know what God's like, I just look to Jesus. You, these are all scriptures. This isn't my opinion. So if I want to know what God looks like, let me put it this way. If I look and I read what Joshua or Moses says about God, but then I go and I see that Jesus said something different, who do I believe? right? That doesn't mean that we can't learn from their experiences. I've said this often, but again, if you haven't gone here often, I love the whole Bible. I love studying it. I dig into it. It's amazing. But I found this out that inspired people still have a certain level of revelation that they write from, right? Think about the word inspired. This is not even a note. This is cool. Think about this word inspired. Have you ever watched someone on YouTube or, you know, another form of media and you were inspired to do something? Like you were inspired to start working out. Not me, you. Were you inspired or inspired to eat better or inspired to, I'm going to, I don't care how old they are. I'm going to start this new business. You're inspired. See, I thought about this. People were inspired by God's goodness where they were to a point where they wanted to write about it. I want to just tell everyone how good God is or, you know, how good. I mean, there's different ways to see God. They saw God in a different way. If you look at chronologically, if you look at the Bible chronologically, you'll see that they went from believing that there were all types of gods, but theirs was the greatest because every culture was like that, to, wait, there's only one God, Yahweh, but, you know, sometimes he does good, sometimes he does evil, to, nope, he only does good, up to Jesus who says, mm-hmm, he's a good, good father and he only gives good gifts. Do you see the progression? How many have learned things in life? How many would say that you believe differently than you did five years ago or 10 years ago? That's a good thing. That means you're not stagnant. It means you're learning. How many know that in theology, it's okay to think outside the box and say, Holy Spirit, I have a question for you. Now, you may have gone to a church that's like, we don't ask questions. Don't question the man of God. He's hearing directly from the Spirit. But if you look through scripture, God was always okay with questions being asked. So ask the question, say, Holy Spirit, help me. I don't understand this. This isn't lining up. But this whole principle of realizing that Jesus was God in flesh and that Jesus was the exact representation of God has cleared so many things up. When someone in the Bible says one thing, but Jesus said something differently, I go, oh, I'm going with Jesus. I'll give you just one example. And some of you heard this, but... When Jesus and his disciples had gone to, I believe it was a Samaritan town, and they refused them. They didn't accept them. They didn't receive them. When they were walking away, James and John, they were brothers. They actually, their nickname was Sons of Thunder. That should tell you something about them. They said, Jesus, uh, should we call fire down upon them? I mean, you're just like, oh, 
literally, should we call fire down upon them? They didn't receive us, Jesus. Do you know who they were quoting? Do you know whose example they were following? Elijah, the prophet, who called fire down on people and burned them. Right? What did Jesus say? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to roast some marshmallows tonight, baby. No, he said, you don't know what spirit you speak of. In other words, Elijah was wrong. Elijah misused his power. That's not what God's about. Come on. What does Jesus say? Do you follow me here? Now, I know I'm tilting your, your head. My, my, my head has been tilted so much it literally is on a constant lean, if you haven't noticed. But you do? Thanks, Mo. Appreciate that, man. No condemnation. Appreciate it. But I love that, that questions are okay. And so let's, let's keep going. So here's the thing. Here's the question. What is the disposition of Jesus towards sinners? Because if God is like Jesus, he's always been like Jesus. We at one point just didn't know, but now we do. If God is just like Jesus, what is the disposition of Jesus towards sinners? Can we find even one account, look through all the, all the gospels where Jesus says, oh my goodness, John, that, that sinner is so horrible. I can't look at them. Has anyone found that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? I haven't. I've scoured the scriptures trying to. How about this? Come on, guys. We got to get away from here. I can't be around all this. I mean, have you once seen Jesus say that? I, I haven't. No, of course not. Now, people do this. Even in the time of Jesus, the religious community would say, oh, that person's a sinner. We can't hang with him. In fact, we are going to, it wasn't just they did some sins. I mean, that was their moniker now. You are a sinner, which means legally you're not allowed to worship with us at temple. Oh, and guess who Jesus hung with? The sinners. <laughs> What a rebel. But I really think that he was trying to show us the heart of the Father. He's like, look, it, you may have formed an opinion about these people, but I'm going to show you my opinion of these people. What my heart feels. I am so emotional, guys. What is going on? It just it ministers to me, though. It's like, when are we going to get this heart of compassion that Jesus had for people? We shut people out because, well, I voted Republican my whole life. Well, maybe just stop voting for once or something and see real people in a room. Just because they're Democrats doesn't mean they're evil people. Well, that person's gay. Okay. I thought it was the funniest thing when my, my uh, pastor friend you know, has a gay couple that goes to his church. And um, they were talking about it a little bit. And, uh, and uh, he said something like, man, he goes, you know, I don't completely understand. He goes, I've, I've never had feelings toward another man. And she said, me either. And they laughed. <laughs> but my point is, instead of just separating from people because of their lifestyle, see, we've been told, stay away from the world. Yeah, the world system, not people. Listen, people will only experience change and spirit through you and I. And we have to be with people for that to happen. And sometimes we feel like we have to put our preacher's cap on and prove to them why they're wrong. Just listen to their story. Just sit down and have a coffee. Listen, you're not going to catch something. Right? White people, you're not going to turn black if you have a coffee, even if it's a black coffee with your black friends. Okay? Now, maybe you need to because you need a little more rhythm and soul. Right? Come on now. Celebrating MLK tomorrow, right? But... 
But I'm serious, like we, we put up these walls of division because of colors of skin and politics and your theology and my theology. And I see this Jesus who hung with everyone, no matter what they believed, no matter how they lived. And you know what's beautiful? When he would tell people, hey, hey, they come up, they wanted healing, right? He would say to them, your sins are forgiven you. Hadn't died on a cross yet. I'm like, how does that work? Oh, because love forgives. Yeah, but you know why they were able to receive healing? Because he wiped the slate clean. I mean, I'm convinced of this. This is my own theology and opinion, but why would Jesus say, your sins are forgiven you, take up your bed, rise and walk? Because when he removes the condemnation, when he removes the guilt, when he removes the shame, what happens? We can receive goodness. And a lot of times what we do is we start out our, our, and it's good intentions, but we start out our soul winning. You ever gone soul winning? We go to the mall. We started with, man, do you know how horrible you are? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to be serious. Let, let me run down these scripture verses to show you how horrible you are. And then at the end, oh, it's so exciting. You pray this prayer and then you'll be okay. It's like, what? I'm really not trying to be funny. It sounds funny. You, you know, you've been going here too long. So now it's funny. It's like, that's not the gospel. And I'm not putting people down. Listen, people have great intentions. I sit down with pastors all around the community and we believe completely differently. And sometimes I just bite my tongue and don't say anything. But you know what? I mean, I'll get up from the table and I'll say, guys, I love you, which freaks them out, you know? I say, I love you guys. I mean, you have given your lives for the ministry. You have given your lives for people. Do you know how beautiful that is? And we just talked for an hour about how we don't agree on theology. But they're my brothers in Christ. They're my sisters in Christ. It's like, I don't have to agree with you to have a relationship with you. In fact, I know your intentions are great. And guess what? You can teach me some things. Maybe I can teach you some things. Together, we can get a, a better, clearer picture of who our father is. Right? But so many times we just, oh, I can't be with the person. Why? Well, there's this one tenant of faith. Oh, my gosh. Would you just put down the tenets of faith idea? Okay, they believe. They're, well, we baptize in Jesus only. We do Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We, we don't say anything. Oh, well, what? Okay, I'm not coming against your idea. What I'm saying is if someone has a different idea than you, maybe they still have some goodness in them, something you can receive, something you learn from them. Stop severing relationships over agreement. But Jesus had to sever relationships. He wasn't trying to sever relationships. Really, it was people severing relationships. They're the ones that walked away. This is the beauty of God. He'll never walk away from you. And you say, you know what? I don't believe that about you, God, and walk away. And he's like, yeah, I'm right behind you. It's all good. Yeah, what's up? God, won't you leave me alone? No, I love you too much. I'll never let you go. Oh, yeah, you can believe that false idea about me. That's okay. I mean, look through Scripture. People believed all kinds of false things about him. But then Jesus came and cleared it up. And some people still didn't want to believe what Jesus said. Just making, I'm just going all over today, but I hope this is making sense. He reset the clock, 30 more minutes. Thanks, brother. But holiness means being set apart. We could even say transcendent. It's, it's living a different way than what the world system lives. So I believe in holiness. I think holiness is awesome, but it's not that I did everything right and I'm perfect and I pretend in front of everybody. Holiness is saying, wow, today I didn't make a good decision on that, but tomorrow I'm going to choose kingdom over culture. I'm going to choose to love my enemy and those who despitefully use me. I'm going to pray for them. 
I'm not going to try to get them back because that's not kingdom way. Are you following me? So I believe that we've been placed into this place and this space beyond the range of normal. We're living from the kingdom of God rather than from the kingdoms of this world. And so when Jesus encounters sinners, he isn't appalled. He isn't offended. He doesn't say that I can't bear to look at you. He's willing to dine with them, which is highly controversial in his culture. When you dine with somebody, you were accepting them. It was a sign or a form of covenant. When you break bread with someone, you're saying, I accept you right where you are. And in religious times, let's say even today, we don't break bread with somebody who doesn't agree on the issues we agree on. I mean, let's just be honest. And so we choose to sever relationships, relationships where we could really stand to learn some new things by the Spirit. I've said this several times that Truth is truth if it's truth, which is really deep, I know. You can write to Andrew Bransick said this, truth is truth if it's truth. And truth is truth no matter where it comes from. That's why the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill would quote Greek poets. Poets who didn't subscribe to this Jesus, who weren't born again, they didn't pray the prayer, but he would utilize what they were saying because it was truth. And where does truth come from? God. I know it's hard to believe. There's no way truth can be spoken to that, but why? Who, wait a minute, who are you to say that? See how we set our parameters and our boxes? I'm getting smoggy next week. Did really any be here? No, nope, I'm going to continue. But when Jesus encounters sinners, he isn't appalled, he isn't offended. When the Bible tells us that Jesus ate with sinners, we have the tendency to dismiss the gravity of this statement. We talked about This was a moniker now. This is who they were. This was their identity according to the religious system. And Jesus said, nope, nope. I'm going to awaken them to their true identity. And the only way I can do that is through relationship. So he chose to have a relationship with people, even if he didn't agree with their lifestyle, which he didn't agree with all their lifestyles. Jesus proves that you can have friends and relationships even if you're not in agreement. Come on. So these people became moral outcasts and good Jews should have nothing to do with them. Yet Jesus was willing to dine with them. This was completely scandalous. Do you know that Jesus had a term or a a moniker they gave him? Jesus, friend of sinners. Now we hear that we're like, oh, that's so sweet. He was a friend of the sinners. This wasn't a compliment. This was, oh, that's that rabbi Jesus who hangs out with those people who are outcasts. He must not have got the memo. And he's like, I don't think you got the memo. I am the memo. Check this out. Not memo, but the memo. So Jesus is the revelation of who God is. And you see Jesus, his demeanor towards sinners is not one of distancing himself or being too holy to look upon them. In fact, he does the very opposite. Think about this on the cross. Because people will say, well, on the cross, though, we see there that God couldn't look upon sin. I mean, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many are familiar with this? And for years, I heard, I believed, I preached that it was at that moment in time. And, it, you know, it's, it's a great message. It's moving at that moment in time. It was the only time that Jesus, his, his, his father, turned his back on him because he couldn't look upon sin. 
I'm not trying to be facetious. This is what I preached. And it really ministered at that time to be that, wow, Jesus was willing to sever relationship with his father for me. And at that point, it ministered to me so much. But then as I got going, I went, wait a second. The father turned his back on his son because of sin? What about me? Well, what you prayed the prayer, you're good. But yeah, but like, what if I sin? What happens? Well, God separates. He, he turns away for a while. What do I do? You pray a special prayer. You pray the, it's the Christian soap, right? First John 1, 9, right? You, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Which, by the way, is just, that's not a Christian prayer. He was speaking to Gnostics at the time who thought that they never sinned and there was no sin and there was no, there was no issue with them. Does that make sense? We have to get context. I'm not being facetious. I'm really not. I want us to just read stuff and see the truth in it and stop just parroting what someone else told you. Go home with what I'm speaking today. Go through it. Study it. Look at it. And say, wow. And if you find something that seems out of place, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about it. Maybe you'll change my mind. Maybe I'll see something differently. I'm open to this change. But again, I come back to Jesus as my standard. What did Jesus do? How did he respond in these situations? So we have Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many have ever felt forsaken by anyone? How many have felt forsaken by God? How many ever thought, God, where are you right now? How many have cursed the sky? Where are you? It's okay. I'm just saying it's okay. Where are you? Where have you been? But, but here's the thing. You weren't. But you felt as if you were. That was your experience. Jesus experiences on the cross as he approaches death because guess what? He was in a human body just like us with emotions and he felt like, God, where are you right now? And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what changed everything. This blew the doors off it for me and I had to change my theology. Psalm 22. Every Jew there, the foot of the cross hearing this would know that Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. In fact, Psalms were songs that they would sing and the rabbi many times would say the first part of it and they would all join in chorus and they would sing. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like we don't know, but what if Jesus on the cross nearing his last breaths in pain started to sing a song and the Jews within hearing distance, heard this and went, he, he's singing Psalm 22. No, they didn't have chapters and verses, but they, they knew the song. You ever hear a song on the radio and you're like, you start joining, you're like, I hate this song. Why am I singing this song? Because you heard it a million times. Jesus begins to quote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. This is how we felt. But we go down toward the end of the psalm, verse 24, look at this. For he who God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one, listen to this, he has not, say not, hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And all of a sudden I went, God didn't go anywhere. That may have been how Jesus felt, but God didn't go anywhere. He was singing a song saying, this is how I feel. But the truth is he never has hidden his face from me. Do you see it? God didn't hide his face. He didn't turn away. In verse 31, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. We could translate it, it is finished. I mean, I'm, 
I'm, I'm excited. How about you? This is, this is, it is finished. There's so much within that statement. So on the cross, Jesus is experiencing all that it means to be human, not just dressed up like a human, but fully human, fully God, because Jesus enters the world, lives and approaches death the same way that we do. And in this moment of torture, mocking and persecution, he feels God forsaken, but there is never a separation from God. The father never turns against the son because Jesus said these famous words, I and the father are one. And it never changes. It gets better. He says, I and the father are one. Guess what? You're included in that. We're all connected. Come on. Jesus said it. Not Andrew Scott Baranczyk with one T, Scott. But Jesus said this. This is powerful, man. So here's the question. Can God be around sin? The answer is yes. But we're not stopping there. Now, I've just tried to explain to some point this whole idea, because I'll say a lot of times, listen, sin is an issue between you and God. There's no separation there. Awaken to your righteousness or awaken the right relationship. It is finished. It's a done deal. I said this several times, but I believe that assumptions can come in. So here's big assumption number two. Okay? He doesn't hold sin against you, right? You're forgiven. The slate's wiped clean. So here's the next assumption. God doesn't hold sin against us, so sin doesn't matter. See, I don't want anyone to assume this to be true. Romans, 3:20, or Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Or 3:23. It's one of the 23s. It's the Romans road. You, ever, you know the Romans road? For the wages of sin is... So we can see right here that, death, or that sin is not a good thing. You following this? Slate's clean. As far as God's concerned, nothing is separating you. Full access to the table, folks. It is finished. But I don't want us to assume that sin doesn't matter. Because the wages of sin is death. Now, now, think about this. The wages of God is death. No, the wages of sin is death. Who pays the wages in this? God? Who pays the wages? It's built in. That's another assumption, right? Well, this happened to me. God's trying to teach me a lesson. No, sin bit you in the rear end because you made a dumb decision. You, you reap what you sow. You, you sow dumb, you reap dumb. I mean, can we agree on that? And this is why we're dealing with this assumption because the pastor ain't saying, nothing matters, just do whatever. Cheat on your wife, she'll be okay with it because you're forgiven. No, she won't. You might wake up and, anyway. What I'm saying is, you might wake up and be divorced. My point is, sin has repercussions. They're built in. Do you follow me? Now, Romans 6, 20 through 22, this is awesome. Paul says this. He says, you were sin's slaves without any obligation to righteousness. I know You are embarrassed now about the things that you used to do with your body. I mean, was it worth it? What reward or return did you get but spiritual death? Sin is a cul-de-sac. Sin is the worst thing you can ever do with your life. Verse 22, consider your life now. There are no outstanding debts. You owe sin nothing. A life bonded to God yields the sacred expression of his character and completes in your experience what life was always meant to be. What he's saying is, listen, sin is a joke. 
I quote it all the time, and I'll give Peter Heiss credit, but he said, you know what? We think the grass is greener, but it looks greener because it's what? AstroTurf. It's not real. So we think it looks greener. That's what he's saying. He's like, listen, sin, you know, it's pleasurable for a season, but listen, it's built in. The wages of sin is death. It's built in here. He says, listen to this. It no longer has, there's no longer debt to it. You owe sin nothing. But he goes on to say, a life bonded to God yields the sacred expression of his character. This is awesome. And completes in your experience what life was always meant to be. See, sin deceives us into thinking, man, this is so much better than living that God life. Uh-uh. The most fulfilling life is a God life. I didn't say religious life. I didn't say a certain denomination life. I said God life, and we'll expound more on that. We do. It's called kingdom life, and it's absolutely awesome. And it doesn't always line up with what religion says. Can I get an amen? Verse 23, the reward of the law is death. The gift of grace is life. The bottom line is this. Now listen closely. Sin employs you like a soldier for its cause and rewards you with death. God gifts you with the highest quality of life all wrapped up in Christ Jesus, our leader. Man, I know which way I probably should choose. How about you? So does sin matter? Absolutely, positively. Sin brings death, not just physical death. I mean, sin will bring death to relationships. It will bring death to joy. It will bring death to true fulfillment. And we could go on and on with the list, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have heard that verse? That's on the Romans road, by the way, right? You're like, what is the Romans road? Look it up. That's how you get someone saved. But you guys are like, what is he on this morning? I had coffee, my brand new coffee cup that my wife brought me from Louisiana. Must have had some mojo in it. But he says, the wages for, the, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now think about this. And some of you know this, but the word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. Say doxa. And it means a good opinion of. So think about this. For all have sinned and falling, fallen short of God's good opinion of you. Shift. See, the reason that we dabble in this and dabble in that and we, I would say, operate outside of who we truly are, that's the word sin, the word hamartia, actually means to operate outside of your true identity, who you truly are. So whenever you're doing those crazy things, I know it's you doing it, but it's not who the true you is that's doing that. Does that make sense? Like you're operating outside of who you truly are. And God's saying, come on, let's shift back over to who you are. I want to introduce yourself to yourself. He's saying, because the reason that you're sinning is because you're falling short of my good opinion of you. And yet we have a gospel that says God's opinion of you is shameful and he can't stand you and he can barely look at you. And if he just puts on a pair of Jesus glasses, then maybe, just maybe, you'll be okay. But then you never know, because if you screw up, he might turn us back again. Is this getting through today? That's not a good, good father. That's a bad, bad father, in my opinion. My kids do things that aren't right. They screw up, they sin, they fall. My love never changes for them. Now, I've been guilty of maybe punishing them for their past, but I've learned that it's all about training them for their future. That's proper discipline. What can I do in this moment, a teachable moment, because I see the path they're going down. It's a path of destruction. This is how Father sees us. There's this path. 
It's a path of destruction. It's going to hurt you. It could cause you to, to have all kinds of consequences, including physical death if you go this way. But here's the problem. The reason you're going down that path is because you don't see my good opinion of you. I mean, that is like, wow. If we could just take that scripture and just marinate with that a little bit, right? Just get all up in it and go, man, he has a good opinion of me. Why would I do that thing? That's not who I am. I'm, I'm built for greater things. I'm, I'm built for a greater purpose than doing that. That's pleasurable for a season. It's pleasurable to my flesh. But man, true fulfillment, true joy is when you step in to the true identity he's given you. And that happens when we go, wow, we've all sinned, but it's because we fall short of the doxa, the glory. God's a good opinion of us. See how important it is that we get a proper picture of God? I think one of the best ways, and we'll kind of bring this to a close here. Notice I said kind of. I think one of the best ways, and many of the early church fathers believe this way as well, one of the best ways to see sin is as a sickness. Mark chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, says some things here, but look at this verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? That's the, the English version. Look at this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, powerful words, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. But look at this next part. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous... This is a great translation, right? Not the ones who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. How about this? Those who know they're sick. I mean, Jesus said this. Listen, if you know that you are sick or dealing with sickness, where do you go? The doctor, the hospital, right? I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. I'm going I'm to go somewhere because I need healing. I need wholeness, right? Now think about this. If we saw sin as a sickness, maybe, think about this, maybe we would care more about the person who is in a lifestyle that's bringing them death instead of looking down our nose at them. How many times have you saw someone who is sick and you thought, I can't stand that person, they're sick? Hopefully none of you. We'll have to have a real deliverance service. How many have thought, Oh my gosh, I, I don't want to be around that person. Now I get it. If they have the flu, you're like, eh, I'm going to take a little break. I get that. I just hope they die and spend an eternity without God because they're so sick and disgusting. Have you ever said that about, please say no. When someone's sick, what happens? For me, and this should be our response is, oh my gosh, they're sick. They're not feeling well. Do you need something? Do, do you need me to bring you some chicken noodle soup? I'm like, I don't know. Does that heal? I don't know. Maybe. The broth has something in it? Do you need medication? Do you, what? You just, you just got diagnosed with cancer? I hope you burn in hell. What? Who would say that? I mean, think about what we're saying here. I'm trying to compare this to people who are living in sin, who don't even see it. Maybe they don't even know they're sick. But we would never say something that disgusting to somebody. We'd say, man, can I help? I, can I pray for you? Man, I don't want you to be in this situation. Why? Because we're seeking for healing and wholeness in their physical body. Why don't we have the same attitude toward people who are lost and don't know who they are? 
people who are sick, they're sin sick. They may not even see it. And Jesus said, listen, I didn't come for those who think they're okay because they weren't gonna listen anyway. You know, some versions say, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. But I mean, you look at the context of who's asking this, he's basically saying, listen, I didn't come for you self-righteous people because you won't receive it anyway. I came for these people because they know that things aren't right. They know they need help and they see me as a physician. They see me as a doctor. Why? Jesus always wanted to bring healing and wholeness to the lives of people. He still does today. And guess what? He does it through you and me. Isn't that awesome? So again, my point is our heart should be empathetic. And I would think that a response to a sick person would be for them to experience healing and wholeness, that they would get well. Am I right? So wrapping this up, the answer to the two big assumptions. Number one, can God be around sin? The answer is yes, but we don't want to assume. Number two, does sin matter? The answer is yes, absolutely, because it leads you down a path of destruction. But here's what I found in my life. Instead of staying away from a person because they live differently or think differently, I thought, wow, Holy Spirit, can I be a vehicle of change and help and wholeness in their life? Now, now hear me right, because sometimes we think we're that vehicle, so we go right and we're like, let me tell you what's wrong with you. And we go down the list of all the stuff that's wrong with them. Maybe just become their friend. I found this, that when, when I'm in relationship with somebody, when they're a friend of mine and vice versa, if I see something in their life or they see something in my life because we understand each other's heart because of relationship, when we say the thing, first of all, we speak that with true love and care because we want to help them, but they also know why we're speaking that in their life. Sometimes we're just in a hurry though. It's like, well, I just got to hurry. Why? Because Jesus is coming back soon. And if I don't get, listen, God's got this figured out. It's okay. Be a friend to people. That's what Jesus did. He befriended people everywhere. And the wild thing about it is they changed their life because he accepted them. See, a lot of times the churches have said, you know what? We'll accept you when you change. But I look at the role model here, Jesus. He says, no, 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 I'll accept you. And then the change happens. Big difference. So how many this morning would say, I'd rather follow Jesus than religion? Amen. The takeaway, embrace people, love humanity, proclaim the wonderful gospel, and don't leave anyone out. That's the big one. I, I put it all caps on purpose there. I didn't like accidentally hit the, the key. Don't leave anyone out. Because everyone deserves this because Jesus said we deserve it. Stop telling people you don't deserve this. You're not good enough. No person lays their life down for someone because they don't think you're good enough or worth it. You are worth every single drop of blood he spilled. But the beauty of the cross is the beauty of the resurrection. It was God's vindication of the way of Jesus saying, nope, I let you kill me. Because, by the way, God was in Christ reconciling the world. He wasn't somewhere else. He was there. But see, the resurrection was saying, you're not living right. You're living outside your identity. The kingdom is right relationship, peace, and joy. Right? It's not segregation. 
It's, it's not, you know, war. It's not retribution. It's not getting people back. It's built on forgiveness, not bitterness. It's, it's built on, you know, uh, not, not retribution and getting you back. It's restoration and, and bringing you back to wholeness. This is what Jesus displayed. And I think that as Jesus people, we should display the same thing. Amen. Let's pray. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.